The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover For Sale, our recommended game of the week, discuss Game Stormers with our guest John Spike in the School of Gaming, and wrap it up with our high five worker placement games. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, the esteemed Dr. Michael McCabe. How's it going, Michael? Going great, Doug. You? Good. I am excited for today's show. I think we've so got, a, got a good show planned, a good uh, recommended game. We've got a first guest in a while. Our daughters were guests at one point on this show, but our first real guest, John Spike, so we're excited to talk to him. And we're probably going to get a lot of new listeners, so we just want to kind of take some time to, to reintroduce ourselves to, to anybody new listening to the podcast, we're the Game Schooler Podcast. My name is Doug, and I have been gaming for the last 10 or 12 years. And part of the, the one of the big things that I try and do here at uh, Game Schooler is review and play as many games as possible. So we're casting a huge wide net of family-friendly games that can be used in a classroom and replace all of those junky educational games that a lot of us grew up with. That's awesome. And I'm Michael McCabe. I was a high school special education teacher and project-based learning advisor. I taught all grades. I was mostly a high school teacher, but I did teach all grades from kindergarten through grade 12. And I was also a middle school principal. Uh, Should we let our listeners know what our mission is, too? I happen to have that on the run sheet. Yeah, what we're trying to do. Our mission at Game Schooler, we utilize modern tabletop games to develop skills in entertaining and innovative ways to increase engagement while bringing people together in an offline world. So if you're just joining our podcast for the first time, you're going to hear us talk about our families a lot and how we like to play games with our families. Uh, each of us, our dads, three daughters, and uh, both of our, our wives will also partake in a board game from time to time. So welcome to the Game Schooler podcast. And, and, and should we get right into our show here, Doug? Yeah, well, normally we start off with talking about some of the games that we've played. And unfortunately, my wallet... Um, we like to talk. Uh, unfortunately, for my wallet, we like to talk about games that we've acquired. Oh yeah. And for me, that kind of just keeps adding up and adding up. How's that going for you lately, Doug? Uh, not great. My uh, game allowance is pretty flush as we head into the month of May coming there, up. There here, you go. So. Well, you've gone, been on a little bit of a, a buying sabbatical, <laughs> Most, so mostly, yeah. So what'd you get? Well, I've got uh, Roll for Adventures coming in the mail. That's a game from Cosmos, a cooperative dice rolling game. And I was able to get that one used uh, at a very, very economical price. Good for you. So just one that I wanted to try out for quite a while. I did a demo of it a long time ago at a convention, and I thought, you know, I, I want to give that one another chance. Uh, I also picked up Long Shot, the dice game. Oh, I can't wait to play which that. I love the original Long Shot, which is now a, a grail game for some people. Um, the price on that on ebay just keeps flying through the roof hey what's that mean i hear that another podcast a grail game what can it's, you explain it's that basically term? a game that is either out of print or is so expensive that it becomes a 
if I, I would do anything to get that game, Got it. you know, Got and it. it's like, yeah. I'm not going to drop $200 on it, or I've saved up a money, enough money to get the $200 game, uh, that type of Holy yeah. Grail thing, which is funny. I, I don't know who I was talking to, but, or not talking to, but listening to another podcaster or video or something. And they were talking about the fact that it's long shot, the dice game. And there are the exact same number of dice in in the dice game as there are in the original game. Oh, really? So there's no no difference in dice, which I thought was kind of funny. And the other one I picked up was Creature Comforts. Oh, yeah. Which is by Kids Table Board Gaming. Kids, is that right? Kids Table Board Gaming. Yep. And that is uh, a Canadian company that did Recreators and Fossilists, two other recommended games of the week. Yes. Not to talk over you there, but no, but they're really they, impressed with what they've been doing. They have not had a miss for me yet, so I was interested in, in getting that one. And uh, a little bit of worker placement game in there, so yeah. we'll be talking about that later. So that ties in. Did you get anything new this well, week? Well, I caveat, I did not personally, but my family did okay, acquire that's, that's two a, games. your workaround, I so get it. So my child, my youngest, <laughs> uh, is starting their game collection, uh, formally announced to the entire family last night, and decided to start with the good Dr. Reiner Knizia's meow. I don't know if that's <laughs> how you pronounce it or if it's meow. Yeah, but technically, M-E-O-W. I think so. Yeah. Um, and then we got the Princess Bride board game. We found a sweet deal on that. Also used $12 free shipping type thing. And so the family got that because that will be coming up for a recommended game of the week here in a few weeks. So we're actually going to do a Princess Bride weekend where we, uh, watch the movie in in chapters, play a level. Tell me more about that buttercup. Yeah, well, the plan is this Saturday. Um, we're going to start this Saturday and take it into uh, next Saturday, but take two to three hours and watch the movie, play a couple levels, uh, go back, and if, if family's still up for it, we'll continue to watch the movie. I should let you know, I've only shared this plan with one other person in my family, but mm-hmm. Josie approves. My, so my oldest child said, yeah, Dad, that sounds like it's an awesome thing. Well, then I better go ahead and get this game for $12 so I can actually review it on the podcast. So it's destined to succeed, it is, is what you're telling me. Otherwise, I have a nice little $12 business expense to write off, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, so that that's it in our house. All right, anything you played that you want to talk about this week? Yeah, I actually got a few games to the table. Uh, an oldie but a goodie, uh, Zombie Kids, and that is the game that was a recommended game of the week. I think it was episode 29, but I'm making that up, and that's where we brought our children in on it. We had family in town, and so we played it with, with our nephew, a uh, little three-year-old, four-year-old guy, and, and he enjoyed it and had a blast just throwing dice around. Also played Impact, um, the di- another dice-chucking game. I think you can tell yep. what we were doing with the Littles. <laughs> Got to play Morels with you, a mm-hmm. mushroom farming game, which I had a blast. Yep, nice little two-player game. And then I will cap it off, not to dominate the discussion here, but I got a game to the table. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, Doug. I love this game. I <laughs> it might be a hyperbole. I enjoy playing this game, but I have not found another human who enjoys playing this game. Uh, I actually bought it from a friend of mine before they were going to throw it in the dumpster, and that's called Bloomtown. <laughs> and so I don't, you know, we... Who was we, that friend? I don't want to put a name on it, <laughs> but we reviewed it. It did not meet our stringent criteria, but it's a game that I really like where you're placing tiles down and, the, and, and you score them right away based on different conditions, whether it's a subway or an office building, and where you place it, your town sort of blooms and you take an, another tile based on where you placed that previous tile. 
I really like that game. My sister, uh, jo- my, Josie, my oldest oldest child, ne- neither one really cared for it a whole lot. They're like, yeah, yeah this is kind of a stinker. So, have you ever had that happen where you play a game and you're the only one who likes it? And I have, yes. And it's it's hard because you want to obviously keep playing it mm-hmm. or play it again and trying to find the right people for it is and I think that goes into that question of whether it's a a collection or a hobby that you're playing, you know, yeah. because there's some parts where it's like, well, nobody else ever wants to play that, but I, for whatever reason, always want to have that game. Um, and I think it's so. A, you think I'm okay to keep the game? If I, you you're like, not going uh, I won't judge. I've got go. those on my shelf, and I think it's a good, certainly a good example of you know we'll be getting into our recommended game of the week here in a little bit. But when we are rating and reviewing games, there's a a, a part of it that if if Michael and I both are not strongly passionate about a game, even if it is getting high rankings based on our system, usually it's not something that we recommend. No, because if neither of us, both of us have to be able to stand by the game in order to recommend it. Yeah, so just another little, I thought you were uh, going to mention one game that you finally got to the table we played. I left some low-hanging fruit for you, Doug. Go ahead. We, and this is popped, this is a game that has popped up in our top 10 list from time to time, quite frequently. It's just a great It's one of those games that you can play at the end of the night when everybody's brain is fried and just have a good time, and that's Las Vegas. And I've been driving around southern Wisconsin, (laughs) going from various friendly local game store to friendly local game store, crashing in on Dungeons & Dragons or Warhammer, whatever they're playing on their Tuesday or Wednesday night, and been getting turned away. So haven't acquired that one yet, but I'm on the hunt for it. So what what, what were your initial thoughts on that? Was it what you th- expected it to be? J- just to clarify, for those of you that don't know about it, Las Vegas is a game where you have uh, eight dice, I believe. You're rolling them all at once, and then you kind of clump them in the uh, like values so all your threes kind of go together. And then you're going to pick out a number, and you're going to send all of those dice to a casino. There's six casinos that are associated to, to each pip value on a dice. And then whoever, at the end of the round, you you keep doing this until everybody's out of dice. And then whoever has the highest amount of dice at each casino is going to take the the bills there, or the the, yep. high, the highest dollar amount that's there. Ranging from 10000 to 90000 But once it, once you hit 50000 at a casino, you stop. Yeah, right? as far so as range. placing them out. Yep. So there will, there will be more than $50,000 at a casino. Uh, in the range of 50 to 90, depending on how that works out. And the tricky part is, is that if you, so say, for example, Mike and I, Michael and I are playing with another player. Michael and I both have three dice on a spot. We cancel each other out, and the person that maybe only has one dice there is going to win the, the money there. And so that's that kind of push and pull in that game where, once you start getting down to two or three dice, if they come up the same number, you have to put them on a spot. So there's a little bit of control that you lose as the game goes on. Yeah, well, here's what I thought about it. If I were back in the office working again or working in a school setting again, if I had a group that I consistently ate lunch with, which would mean I, I'm not no longer a principal because principals don't eat lunch. But if I were a teacher <laughs> or if I, you know, my current job, if I'm back in the office and if I had people that ate at the same time, I would take Las Vegas and I would play that game for three months straight. And I think we would have a lunchtime game group. 
that game is so engaging and fun and exciting and there's just enough strategy in it as yeah. well I, I think it's going to be a recommended game as soon as it comes back into print because that brings up another point you know we're sitting in a space with hundreds of games right now and there's a lot that we would love to recommend but if one of our uh, conditions is the game has to be available at the time that we release the podcast and right now that that game's not readily yeah. available yeah, so it's a it's a good time. It was a it was a nice game to cap off that evening, and and everybody is standing up around the table. So great game, and I was happy to to share that one with you, Las Vegas. All right, anything else? I think the only other thing that we need to kind of touch base on before we go to the recommended game of the week is if you have any questions, comments, anything like that, feel free to reach out to us. You can email us at email at gameschooler .com. Uh, our website, gameschooler.com, has all of our recommended games there and, and other educational tools that you can use. Educational? Yeah. Did I hear that right? <laughs> yeah, Good. Probably, Good. yeah. <laughs> That's how smart I am. Um, <laughs> so we've got some great resources there. We're on Twitter as well, at GameSchoolerU. Sometimes. So check us out there. But until then, let's move on to the recommended game of the week. Recommended game of the week. The recommended game of the week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection, and it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is For Sale by Eagle Griffin Games. Doug, give us the stats. All right, this one was published in 1997. The designer, Stefan Dora. The art is by a ton of people because it has had very many editions. So whatever edition you have, those are the artists. Three to six players. It takes about 30 minutes to play, and that's if you've got the full complement of players. And the age is 10 and up, and Board Game Geek, the preeminent source of board game information the community there says eight and up and i'm I surprised think, they don't say two and a half and up yeah <laughs> Sorry. and i think that's that's pretty accurate and this is going to be the shortest uh intro copy that we have ever read which is going once going twice sold to the highest bidder bid and bluff your way to purchase the most valuable real estate for the lowest amount of money then uh sorry i just got distracted here realizing that my notes for what I liked are for a different game. Let me get back into that. All right. So bid your bid and bluff your way to purchase the most valuable real estate for the lowest amount of money. Then turn around and sell those houses and shacks for cold, hard cash. Be the richest mogul at the end of the game to win this Stefan Dora classic. So there are two phases to this game. The first phase Everybody starts with money, and there are going to be a number of properties laid out. It's e an auction phase. Equal to the number of players. And those properties are in value from 1 to 30. And everybody's going to take turns around the table bidding. And the way that you bid is you say, I'm going to bid 1. And that's kind of like to stay in the round. If at any time you pass, you drop out of the round, and you take the lowest value property. If you had already bid some and you're not winning the bid, you're not the last one in it, you're going to give away half of your money, take half of it back, and then take the lowest value property available. Whoever is left standing is going to pay all of their money, 
and then is going to um, take the highest value property. So we do that and we auction off all the properties until they're gone. Then the next phase begins in which there are checks placed out on the table and those are ranking from zero to 15,000 uh, just and there's two of each of them except for it skips 1,000. So there's no 1,000 value checks. We flip over cards equal to the number of players or checks equal to the number of players. And then people are going to look in the, the other players are going to look at their properties that they've acquired in the previous round and secretly play one down. Whoever plays the highest value property is going to get the highest value check that's available on the table and so on down the line with the lowest value property taking the lowest available check. Once that's done, the game is over. You count up your money and whoever has the most wins. And that is basically how you play for sale. That's a quick teach. This was on our My High Five list of teach as you play games because yeah. you can almost teach the first half of the game before you even start the second well, half. And that's the the two times that I've played with you, that's exactly what you've done, right? Yeah. You only teach the first phase while you play and then you teach the second phase, correct? Correct, yes. So luckily, I've got my notes here on my phone. So Good. the world rejoices. Huzzah. <laughs> Anything I can do to help with that? No. What uh, What do you like about the game, Michael? I love bidding and bluffing games. I really do. There's a, a joy factor there of playing games with people that you know and hang out with and are family with. And that I, I, I like that little... Uh, bluffing aspect into the bidding because it's quick, right? You, you mm -hmm. and you get multiple cracks at it. I there is some strategy though too of sometimes it's that second place because you get half of your money back. Um, so just trying to figure out well what's the best value here. I really don't. If the properties are twenty eighteen and five, well, there's not a huge difference from twenty and eighteen, but I certainly don't want to get that five. Yeah. Uh, so those are just the top of mind things that I wrote down coming in into today that I really enjoy about the game. Yeah, I mean the the rules are easy to learn, which I love. The artwork certainly on the the real estate, the for sale, the original game, and there's a, a newer version out which we'll talk about later on in the segment. But the artwork in that is fun. And I mean the the property at the 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 number one value property is a cardboard box with a little doormat out front, and the number thirty is a space station, and it runs the gamut gamut between tents, townhouses, log mansions, cabins. log cabins, uh, motorhomes, all those type of things, various values. So I like that art, and I think that art always leads to a little bit of laughter while you're playing is like, I don't want to get stuck with the cardboard box and I don't want to live in the sewer, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. And as you're buying them, um, it's fast, easy to learn. And it's a, it's one of those great, you know, we talked a little bit in the previous segment about uh, Las Vegas. This is a great one of those where if you played a couple of heavier games that require a lot of mental power, this is a great cool down yeah. after that to kind of reset your palate before you play anything else if you're playing in a, a long game day. And just, just a, a, people are busy. This is a yep. game top to bottom that's done in 15 minutes. That's how long it was when we played with Josie before the podcast. And, yeah. and, and, and Josie had never played it before, so you taught it. We played it, and Josie was out of the room. I I think there's something to be said for that, that you can get a full game done in 15 minutes, uh, you know, when talking about bringing families together. And there's 
two games within that same game because that yeah. first round of acquiring properties, the next phase is, well, how bad do I want that $14,000 check compared to the $9,000 check, right? Because those three checks come out. So what property am I willing to throw down to bring that check over to me? Yeah. Um, th there's a lot there. Well, and I like the, there is a very subtle economic lesson here on the idea of buying low and selling high. And Say kind more of, about that. And kind of what that means where you're, you know, auctioning and maybe you took that, that number one or that 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 number one cardboard box that becomes a thing. It was like, well, if you can get rid of it later in a round for five or six thousand dollars, you're making that profit, yep. right? And that uh, it needs to be taught. It's not explicitly in the game. It would need to be taught by by an adult or somebody playing with younger kids. But just that concept is there. Is that flipping and and basic economic? Like I said, buy buy low, sell high type of thing is is cool that that's in a game this light yeah and i think it could go all the way up to if if you're in high school or if, or if you're you know middle school teaching older kids and if you're looking at the actual housing market and what a bubble is and if you're looking at time periods this is a game that you could use to introduce yeah. some of those concepts yeah, and I mentioned earlier, there's uh, a couple versions of this. They just released a— and it's, More than a couple, Doug, well, I, I meant, because I've been looking to acquire yeah, this game, no, and I, I meant, have a hard time keeping track of all of them. There's different—well, um, there's two different themings of this game. Uh, one that recently came out, which is uh, For Sale Autorama, and that's the same concept— except it's with cars instead of houses. The thing that Autorama adds is this idea of advisors or salespeople, which creates a third round uh, in between. You kind of go, I think, advisors, cars. And one and of the so, expansions of For Sale also had that. Yes, so yeah. if you wanted to add that experience, you could also get that. Now, this is available on Eagle Griffin's website. And there's a, a travel version, which is a condensed version. There's the, the full-blown kind of bo bookshelf. But this is there are not a bunch of components. It's a, two decks of cards and, a, and some tokens, tokens for, for money. So it's a pretty sleek setup. So I don't think getting that travel version is, is going to be a problem either. But those are the, the publisher of Eagle Griffin is publishing regular for sale and for sale Autorama. Um, but this is a game that, that Michael and I think that there are a lot of skills that you and your family and kids, students, can get out of a game like this. And we every episode we like to highlight what those skills are and kind of you know shine a light on them and let you, our listeners, know you know what you can expect out of a game like this and how it can be educational. So what do you got, Michael? What's your first skill? Excellent. Well, uh, my first skill, we always bring a core skill, is observation, a game that rewards careful yep. watching with attention to details and behaviors in order to understand or arrive at a judgment. But there's a, a bluff factor that can happen. So in that second phase, I, I kind of need to watch um, how people are spending their property to get those checks and if I can keep an eye on what my opponents are doing, that will help me to decide what cards to play out as well. Uh, just a game where I, I don't think you can only worry about your own self and your own hand uh, because the end game scoring, you just add up all those checks at the end. And if you want to be the winner, you kind of have to look and see what, what your colleagues at the table are doing. Yeah, that's the same core skill that I have as well. And it's one of those where you have to watch 
what other properties your opponents are are winning so you know what they've played you know it's like is that 30 value property still out there right or do i have the highest or every once in a while there's a there's a round where people spend a whole bunch of their high ones and you're like i think i might now have the highest one that's still out there and how you can use that information going forward and when those zero dollar checks are coming out you and i got caught up with that in a game recently where they both came out right at the end I yeah. was kind of stuck with like, oh, I've got a mid-level card here, but I'm going to end up with a $0 check. Yeah, so. yep, exactly. And our core skills, those are skills that we think are are in every game, uh, any type of game that you are going to play with your kids. They're all in there. Uh, we just like to highlight them as uh, in games that do them uh, well. Yeah. You know, do them better than average or or better than most, but they are in every game. You're going to find observation in every game you play. Uh, next one on my list is competition. I have that as well. A game that develops healthy competitive habits as two or more parties compete for a goal or reward that isn't shared. And this is happening two very specific, I mean, every game at any competitive game, when you're counting scores, you're going to have that competition at the end of the game. But this has a unique ones in each phase where there is that competition over properties as you're bidding and that kind of stare down at the okay corral of like, I am not backing down. I'm going to get this castle type of thing. And then, but then the, you're going to lose all your money to get that <laughs> castle. Yes. And then in the second round, there's that, all right, we're all putting something down and you flip them all over at once and you're directly competing and comparing with all of your opponents. Uh, so I think this is a great game. And one that moves fast enough, a lot of times we talk about that uh, younger kids getting their feelings hurt when something bad happens to them in a game. And this competition is so fast and lighthearted that that really doesn't happen in a game yeah, like this. I don't know. I should have done a little bit more research, but you have 24 to 30 rounds total in a 15-minute game. So the competition is really moving when you're in that bid phase and then when you're in the sell phase when you are selling your properties back. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's a really good, good healthy uh, competition in this one. Yeah. All right. What else do you got? I have resource management, a game that boosts a student's capacity to efficiently and effectively oversee available assets. The bluffing mechanism that has to do if I have, there's a time to throw out a little bit of money to get uh, a decent level card that you can then, you know, turn around in the next round and kind of bluff to get a decent decent check. So what Doug talked about with the the buy low to sell high, uh, it's a different type of resource management. We're not moving meeples around on the board to acquire a card or to gain victory points. Um, we're just throwing a, a few thousand dollar tokens out on the table to try to acquire some property to flip into um, more money. So yeah, and I've got that on my list too. I think it's really neat that idea of of one round you're managing your money, next round you're managing your properties, and how you're spending both of those is pretty cool. Uh, the next one that I have ties into that resource management, and that's risk management, mm. a game in which students must identify, evaluate, and prioritize options to reduce the impact of unfortunate events or risks. And this is this this pops up in that bidding round, that auction phase, when you're trying to determine is this that good of a value? If it goes around again, am I going to get stuck paying a bunch of money 
for something that isn't uh, worth as much as I'd like it to be. And then especially, it really comes out when you're playing those hidden cards, those properties at the second round, when you're saying, I'm not sure if this is high enough to get where I want to do it. And you're trying to kind of thread the needle sometimes, like, I know this isn't going to get the top one. That whole round is risk management. Yeah, but I don't want to get the lowest one either. Yeah. And so you're trying to, like, I don't, you know, you're, you're, you're debating in your head is like, ah, should I use the 10 or do I need to go up to the 18? to get to whatever position I want to be, you know? So it's, it's pretty interesting on that, that respect. Yeah, that's good. The, the next one for me, and I'm going to say it with my chest as I say it, but a game that can be learned and taught that easily, that has that much strategy, it definitely brings in confidence. And we define confidence as a game that promotes and increases a student's trust in their abilities and qualities. This is a game that a kid can win the first time they play. And they can. It's it's a game that does build confidence, because I think you are acquiring and selling, and, and we as humans know anytime you sell something, even if it's not for a profit, sometimes it still feels good. Like oh, somebody wanted to buy that from me. Here you go. Oh, and I got something back in return. There, there's maybe it's just me and my brain, but I get a little bit more confident. When that happens, and if a board game is able to do that with an 8, 10, 12, 14, 15, uh, 40-year-old kiddo, I, I think that's, that's a, a great thing. And really, the, the, the game is older than some of our listeners, right? This was published in 1997, so why does this keep getting printed and keep getting new editions? I think that's a big reason why, because you have people that may not be necessarily gamer gamers who play a game like this. They're like, oh, that was a lot of fun. I want to play another game like that. Oh, I'm going to go out and buy this, and now I have a board game in my house where I might not have before. So Yeah, and that's a, that's a great one, I especially because every turn you're getting something. Every round you get something, whether that's a property or a check. Now, there are two checks in the game that are not great as zeros, Zero but dollar. other than that, you're always getting something. So that's a, a, a great one. The last one I have on my list is tactical thinking. The last one I have on my list is tactical thinking. Oh, all right, let's say the definition at the same time. <laughs> a, a game that challenges students to make decisions based on currently available and frequently changing information. And this is happening throughout both rounds where you're kind of keeping track of what properties just came out uh, in that that second round, the second round of the game, you have to keep track of. Okay, Michael already spent an eighteen. Does he have stuff higher than that? And so it you you pivot on your game plan there from turn to turn, and then especially in that second round, the dollar amounts that come out It's like if it's a whole bunch of high value dollars, sometimes you throw your lowest one out there because yeah. it doesn't matter. You're gonna get something good. Um, so there's that, and then obviously in the first round, keeping track of everybody's bids and how they're they're doing on money and what cards haven't come out and stuff like that. So there's a lot of pivoting that goes on uh, quickly in your brain during this game. Yeah, I think there's one strategic moment in the entire game, and that is as the rounds change, almost that halftime moment, right? I, I have this small pile of cards that I'm accumulating from the initial bidding round and when I pick them up and look at them I could think oh I've got a 14 a 17 a 24 a 28 a a 1 and a 3 and I could think that I have a strategy but as soon as those first sets of checks come out 
the strategy goes out the window because you have to be incredibly tactical that entire uh, second phase. It's just based on what the other people are doing, and my hand changes so much from from round to round. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, those are some great skills there. And I, I think, Michael, you hit it on the head. There's a reason that this one has been in print since 1997 and is still available in 2022. It's a sign of a great game. We both enjoy it. We think it's a obviously a recommended game and a great game that your kids and your family will enjoy and, and get some real solid skills out of this one in a in a fast time frame, right? Yeah, we did skip an entire section. Usually we have, a, is there anything you should be aware of with playing this game? And we kind of glossed over that before we get into our skills. Is are, Do you have any? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, the only thing I will say, um, if, if you play 12 to 18 hours of board games a week, yeah, th- this might not be on the top of your list. This is a family wait, fast 15-minute game. You're not going to play this for three or five hours in a row. Yeah. That being said, if you play that many board games in a week, you probably need to try to get a few more gamers to the table. This is the perfect game to recruit non-gamers and bring them into that gamer fold. Yeah, so that is our recommended game of the week for sale by Eagle Griffin Games. And let's move on to the School of Gaming. The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be discussing Game Stormers with John Spike. Yes, this is uh, one of the few times we've had a guest on, and we wanted to invite John on to the show, an exalted colleague, John Spike. Yeah, we're He's really, not esteemed like you. No, He's exalted. We are very fortunate to have John here on the show. John is a, is a legend in every classroom that he has touched, and I'm um, very fortunate to, to have him here with us. All right, so John... Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your project going on. Well, I, I think I need to back up to legend in every classroom I've touched. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Some former students, <laughs> depending on the student, will uh, you know. But I think for the most part. Uh, yeah, so my name is John Spike, and uh, I'm a former high school English teacher and a technology integrator for K-12, so helping teachers and students use tech in their classroom. And now I coordinate the instructional technology and integration at University of Wisconsin-Whitewater. Go Warhawks. Go Warhawks. Caw! You know, we don't do that, but I've been <laughs> I trying to... didn't know the call. I've been trying to make it optional. a thing. And, well, I'm going to start doing it now. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to make it a thing, but it's not a thing. But uh, there I, I teach a, a course called Video Games and Learning, which I, I tell... Folks, as uh, I, I finally proved my mom that to my mom that uh, those video games would pay off. And so eat it, mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, I hope she doesn't listen to this. <laughs> um, she's obviously a, a passionate follower of your your podcast. Oh, I think it's Thanks. important that you know Thanks, that. Thanks, John. Bob. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, got got really deep into the the board games. You know, the board game scene, and especially kickstarting board games. You know, probably. Four or five years ago, uh, up in uh, Michael, your neck of the woods in Green Bay Dis- School District, mm-hmm. got got really into it. And uh, you know, as I was you know backing these games, got excited about using them in the classroom. Started using more games in the classroom, and had been 
designing games to use with my students, you know, since I'd been a teacher and then decided, you know, one day I had an idea of, you know, how can I help people make games, you know, teachers, students. And I thought, what if there was a game where you make a game? And so that's kind of where Game Stormers was born out of. And so been working on developing it since 2020 and uh, just launched on Kickstarter this week, and yeah, congratulations! Uh, yeah, yeah, funded. Uh, I, I guess it'd be this is releasing. I don't know. Friday. I'm getting very Tomorrow meta morning. now. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> meta for time and when people are hearing this. But yeah, funded a couple days before this uh, released on kind of day two, and uh, very very thankful for that. And big exhale, yeah. and uh, just yeah, appreciate guys like you who who have just been supportive and. Uh, being able to tap into your infinite wisdom has been fantastic <laughs> with this podcast. So le- you have a series of questions? I, def- I defer. Questions? I defer. defer? To the <laughs> I, I have some questions here. And I think let's let's start off with why Kickstarter, and for our listeners who don't dabble in or know much about Kickstarter or who may be a little bit, uh, go ahead. Can I cut go. you off there? I, I'm curious. <laughs> this may derail the whole thing, but do you remember what your first Kickstarter game was? Oh man, um, oh, that's a really, really good question. It might have been. I might have had like I might have peaked early. I did five minute dungeon, and I think uh, I, I think that's a pretty. I, I have a so so track record with like Kickstarter games that I got, and I was like, you and oh, me both, I have. I have missed the boat on what I thought this was, but Five Minute Dungeon, I that think... whole five-minute series is awesome. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And so that one uh, got me into it, uh, I think, is is seeing that really take off. And, and so I think that was my first, but don't quote me on that. Yeah. Do you know so, what yours was, Michael? Um, no. Oh, okay. Mine was Viceroy, I believe, or uh-huh. Nothing Personal. Might have been Nothing Personal. Um, <laughs> but Kick, Kickstarter is a, a crowd-funded uh, platform where... People can help get their designs off the ground, that type of thing. Um, sorry to disrupt your whole train of thought, Michael. <laughs> no, no, but... that's good. The question said it's flexible and it's Doug Kotecki proof here. So <laughs> what I, the, the first question is actually how long have you been working on your game design? When when did this come about? I know you have a story. It centers around your family. And yeah. and, and, and tell our listeners here about, about your game design and some of your inspiration behind that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So table the Kickstarter right now. That'll table be question two. Got it. Love it. Okay. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that I, I had started in about 2018. Uh, I'd gone to a, a Google Academy for teachers, and you go there with a problem, and the problem. Yep. Fist bump for those of you who who you know are trying to envision what's happening right now. <laughs> Got a fist bump from Michael there. Uh, so went to this, and you bring a problem. My problem was games using games in the classroom is tough, and. and Thankfully, you guys tackled that one for me, like getting games More in the classroom. More tackling, yeah. Tackling. Mm-hmm. And Hopefully. I struggled, struggled with that, like making games accessible. And then, you know, as I was talking to people there, uh, realized my passion was I actually want the students and the teachers making games if they are too intimidated to integrate them in. Uh, and so that's where it kind of started is how can I design resources to help people become game designers? And was doing it, and, and I kind of felt like I had hit that creative impasse. And then that's when you have that. I'm sure I, you know, I hope this doesn't mean you have to put a warning on your on your podcast. But I had that toilet epiphany, mm-hmm. you know, where I was sitting there and and stewing, you know, in, in more ways than one, and realized, you know, what if there was a game where you could kind of dabble in, in game design? So 
both the story of it and and getting exposed to mechanics because I think one big challenge and and both of you know this is a lot of people the games they know are not great games they grew up on those not a lot of depth yeah yeah some of those uh evergreen games perennial games aren't aren't as deep exactly mm-hmm. and don't give you those meaningful choices and those or fun or fun or fun <laughs> yeah uh monopoly is universally reviled in most kind of serious gaming circles because it usually leads to heartbreak and and uh you know more more family discord than, than good <laughs> family memories and and so that was the big challenge was just exposing you know, players to new mechanics, you know, during the course of it. And then the other piece too is I, you know, I, I, my daughter is closing in on a year old. Congratulations. Thank you. And had the idea, you know, my wife was pregnant and I had that moment where you're like, wow, she is like growing a human. And what am I doing? I'm sitting here eating Cheetos on the couch. I, you know, I do a little more than that, but um, you know, I was going to been there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> me too, multiple times. I was getting jealous, you know, a little bit jealous. She was making something, and I was just kind of like, not really. And and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, what what if what if I you know made a game that that kind of instilled these skills? And then when when my daughter was born, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, you, and I know both you know this feeling. You're like, all right, well, I, all right, John, it's time to step up your game. Like you're not just a guy you know you're a role model you know and hopefully i'd been somewhat of one to my students but now it's like all right you're a role model and there's no off switch you're always on and so i thought i better be modeling to her take some chances take some risks now you're eating cheetos on the go right? now no now the cheetos the are yeah walking yeah. tacos now, <laughs> now yes now i'm blending the cheetos into a, a fine powder for both me and my daughter so <laughs> that's um, slurry <laughs> yes a cheeto slurry is, is kind of my motivation so to long long story short i said well i want to make sure that you know i'm i'm excited about this project i thought what better way is put sloan my daughter in the the, the forefront of it so she's a character She's on the cover. She was the first art asset I had made. And that's how I knew I had my artist when I saw her interpretation of Sloan as this epic game creator. And I'm like, all right, you're it. You yeah, know, that's you, awesome. You nailed it. And and so she's kind of been a, anytime I felt like I was at an impasse, is like, well, you can't let Sloan down. <laughs> so you got to keep playtesting, keep tweaking, you know, keep working on it. Yeah, certainly good, good uh, motivation. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Now, tell our listeners about your Kickstarter. I mean, let, it's time to sell, sell, sell. Tell us about your game and how they can get it and talk to people out there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, do you do you want a little bit of that why Kickstarter? Or yeah. Just, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I was drawn to Kickstarters, and, and sometimes I knew this game, you know, there's a little bit of a leap of faith. You get a little bit about the game, but maybe you don't get the whole sense of it when you're backing one. Uh, but I liked the journey that you go on with the creators. I was really drawn to Five Minute Dungeon because they involved the community, and you actually mm-hmm. saw the community naming cards yeah. and and voting on what cards they thought should make it, and uh, just involving them, and then also them telling their story. Uh, and actually, I remember Five Minute Dungeon inspired a lot of what I did for the video. You always want to have a good Kickstarter video, and so I want to make sure in mind there was a hook. You're into the the world. You're into the gameplay, and then you're you're also just saying John seems like a guy I don't want to punch in the throat. You know that cool. was my third goal, <laughs> and so to make sure people didn't want to, I put Sloan in it front and center mm-hmm. so that you know she'd be. Yeah, is that why I got cut out of the video? Because <laughs> I went to the event, but I'm not in a Kickstarter video. Doug, you and your child are in it, but I'm, I'm not, not in it. I must My have a punchable is. throat, yeah. huh? Well, he used a baby shield. Let's, let's <laughs> yeah. be honest here. It doesn't sound great, <laughs> you know, out loud. No, what is Game Stormers? What is it? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I had that question too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. So game stormers, uh, it, you know, to kind of uh, you know give the the essentials. So much like when you're pitching kind of your game of the week that you're looking at, uh, you know, it's a three to six player kind of creative tableau building game. Uh, we say ages nine and up, you know, give or take. Although at the the, the play test, we had some younger than nine playing. The it. board game geek community will probably say four years old. Yeah. If you're saying yeah. nine and up, yeah, right. when we go to review this game as a recommended <laughs> game of the week. It will be nine and up or four and up. Yes. Yeah. So. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, you basically the the premise is you're creating a five card game narrative, and that narrative will have a, a game storyline. You'll have a couple of mechanics. Uh, and a couple of items that you'll you'll put into your game that will kind of set the stage for that game narrative. So that's that's the overall premise. Uh, it's a mix of you're both kind of designing this to kind of pitch it to your fellow players. You can win kind of in a party game style of being voted up the best, or you can win strategically. You can have kind of the the game designers award of you built the game that was technically the most sound. It scored the most points in terms of difficult cards to work in, unified theme meeting some objectives that you get from your cards. So the idea was to kind of wet the beak of those competitive folks and those creative folks and, cool. and kind of straddle that line. So what what was the – can you kind of guide us through what the development process was of – you know, you said you started several years ago, but, you know, as everybody that's familiar <laughs> with the, the hobby, that's a long journey. Yes. There's a lot of – of twists and turns. So what what happened in that experience? Yeah, yeah. Well, I just want to say my, my poor wife, you know, she was play tester one, two, three, and four. Uh, you know, she would play two-handed. I'd play two-handed in the earliest prototypes because we were, of course, prototyping during the pandemic yeah. and play testing during the pandemic, which was not a great time to play test if you want to get together yeah. for yeah. game night. And, and so, yeah, the early stages where I would, you know, print some, you know, card prototypes you know kind of sleeve them so they didn't get destroyed and, and we'd just try it out you know see does, does this idea have legs and thankfully she would very quickly say okay it started as like a seven card game narrative too long my wife is like it look at how long that took you know us yeah. being two-handed um you know it it took oh my gosh these these negative interactions don't fit the spirit of game stormers it's about creating a story you're proud of if i can go and slap a key part of your story you know, and ruin it, that's that's not really what we're going for. So the negative interactions wiped out. You know, we realized those things that were in the spirit of the game and things that weren't mm -hmm. and things that made it quicker and things that weren't. We, we realized, you know, what kind of core, you know, storytelling themes we wanted. You know, so we used to, the game was way bigger. Uh, I had 175 cards. I whittled it down to 137, which doesn't sound much better <laughs> now that I'm hearing it. Uh, but you know, just That's a, a big lot difference. though. yeah, yeah. It was just a cutting a lot of bit of the fat, and and it's true. You know, when you're writing, you know, whatever you're doing, designing websites, teaching, you cut the fat out of the lesson. Murder your recite, darlings. Murder well, your darlings. And yeah. some game, you know, some games you play, and it they really tout that they have 450 <laughs> cards in there, and it's like, but you don't see half of them. <laughs> And then it's like, it just always feels like a different game. So I don't necessarily know that that's, I know a lot of Kickstarters and a lot of game publishers use that as like, look at all this variety. And it's like, yeah, but if I have to keep looking at all the different symbols and things and relearning it, mm -hmm. and it's like, oh, this great combination, this card works with one other card out of 450 <laughs> cards. It's like, what are the odds of finding that? Right. So I, I appreciate that, that cutting of these are the ones that are really important and, and matter to the game. So 
Yeah, kudos and, on that. And John, <laughs> I just want to congratulate you on a successfully funded Kickstarter. I mean that that it's great to have this journey and have this story. But you you are now a game designer. Has that set in for you yet or not? Because I know last time you were in this room, you we went through a pretty brutal play testing where <laughs> Doug was very honest and and I was very honest and we we Guilty. gave some feedback. Mm-hmm. And you you just did such a great job of taking everything in, uh, and that was just seeing one little slice of your journey. Has it hit you that you're you're a game designer with a successfully funded board game? I don't know that it has yet, and and I think I think it's one of those things where you know you and I think both you can relate to this. You know, as as creators, you know, creators of lessons, creators of the game schooler website, podcasters, all the above, lesson designers, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, you're always tweaking, you're always iterating. And so, you know, now it's almost like I got funded and now it's like, okay, well, now I'm almost like, all right, my mind is on like, okay, I've gotten all this feedback, even from the reviewers of, you know, this is what we liked. This is what we would would love to have seen. And now the wheels get turning on expansions and Mm. and it's like, whoa, John, just slow down and get the sucker sucker produced, (laughs) right? Get it manufactured, you know? Um, but you know, I think it's, it's one of those things where, where you're constantly iterating and every great game designer will tell you that, you know, no game is ever truly perfected. It's just, you got it to a point where you said, okay, I am at a point where I just need to get this thing out into hands and get it played and, and, and really tease out, you know, what people are connecting with. You know, I've heard from my play testers, I've heard from, you know, everybody under the sun and I just need to let this marinate out in the world and, yeah. So yeah, I, I think I think you know there's an exhale of okay this I will have enough to manufacture it. Yeah. But now the next step is okay, but but you know what am I going to hear? What's going to be the reception? And and how can I, you know, make this experience even better moving forward? Well, and there's the idea of you know it's it's one thing to to fund the Kickstarter, but then the idea of what the mission of the game is yeah. and trying you know it's one thing to to fund it it's another thing of then saying how can i get this into as many people's <laughs> hands as possible right to to complete the goal of the original vision of of helping teachers and, and students and i mean i've i've played the game and and my daughter played the game and we've backed it uh the kickstarter my daughter said you've got to get that that we just that, yeah. we, that needs to be part of our collection and it's a it's a great family weight and that the the time allotment i i mean i see so many possibilities of how this can be used in the classroom in a family setting i like that there's the ability for the um party and uh uh, competitive the, the the extroverted part of the game that people could really embrace and there's the introverted part of the game that people can embrace and that there's that duality because you know, and anybody that's been in a classroom knows that there's some kids that want that and some kids that don't. And the the ability to kind of combine those into to one game is, is pretty remarkable. So, you know, kudos to you for doing that. And, and I'm really happy and excited to see where this this goes and develops to. And John, what do you want our listeners to know? Yeah, I think what I want them to know is and, and I kind of ended the Kickstarter overview video with this. You know, the ultimate goal is. Uh, this game is one where e- even if you don't win, I'm hoping at the end of it, you're really proud of that game you put together. Mm. And that's the feedback I've gotten is, is somebody said, I didn't really care that I didn't get the most points. I didn't get the most votes, but I just can't believe I, I strung these ideas together. You know, I had, they had that moment where they're three cards into their story. You know, they've got, they've got a mechanic, an item and a storyline, and they're not seeing 
how they string together. And then suddenly you see that light bulb when they get a card and they're like, this is going to string my game together into something that works. Uh, and, and so that's been really neat. And I've had people who played it and said, I could, I could see this being a game, what I just designed. You know, my, mm-hmm. my wife just... Uh, you know, had <laughs> invented a game we were playing the other night. She's like, how about you and me sit down and play it? You know, we hadn't, we just, she and I hadn't played in a while. And, and she invented this game called Stick It to the Man that had dexterity and secret roles. And I'm like, I would play that. <laughs> and so, and she's like, ha, I'm going to get rich off your game with Stick It to the Man. You know, you didn't yeah. see that one coming. And, and so just cool moments like that, I think are fun of, of you don't even need to win this game to truly enjoy it. Um, I think it's a game where, you know, somebody might not even see the scorecard and still be pretty entertained, and, well, can, and that's special. I know this is kind of backtracking, but can <laughs> we go and kind of describe how the game plays? Yeah. Because um, I don't think we've talked about yeah. that, of like what, how does this game, you know, we're talking about all the outside and what it does, but how do you actually play it, and yeah. what what does that experience look like? Yeah, absolutely. So kind of in a nutshell, I mentioned before you're building that five-card game narrative, and, you know, there's two facets to that. You want to have a coherent storyline so you can, you know, get some, earn some votes, maybe tie that together. You can get bonus points for using, you know, there's different worlds that you can tap into, civilization, fantasy, high seas, horror, and sci-fi. Those are kind of the big game narratives that you can use cards from. And so you can try to tie that together. The other side is the cards have varying values. So some of the cards that are easier to work into a game, you know, a dragon might have a really great power, but it's a one because anybody can work a dragon into a game and make it sound cool, right? Uh, you know, whereas there might be a really obscure card that's three and a little bit harder to, to weave into a game. Filing taxes. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly, yes. That's yeah, the expansion. Exactly. Going to the DMV yeah, yeah. Is, uh, is, is a three for sure. should probably be the only four in the game. Yeah, it's a fiver. Yeah, yeah, but the varying values. and, and uh, the So during your turn, you really have a bunch of options that allow you to generate or go out and find cards. You're playing cards out of your hand, correct? Yes, yeah. So, it, yeah, definitely you got some hand management, and so you're collecting cards and deciding which ones are going to end up in that in that kind of player notebook, that five-card narrative. And so it, it's ultimately kind of balancing that, uh, do I want to score? Do I want to add to my story? Do I want to try to do both or hedge my bets? I've had a game where I, I thought I was going for most points, and I'm like, the story's actually kind of clever. I'm just going to not optimize my score and just try to win people over uh but you can take actions you can go and and snag a card from kind of an open item market the other cards that you might get storyline mechanic you can go kind of fishing for grab a few choose one to keep ditch the others you can make your own card uh which has been a big hit with the younger kids Mm. it you can usually you know i can look down at a at a player notebook and tell if i i've got a bunch of kids playing or just a bunch of childish adults if there's a lot of custom made cards uh in the game so uh that's that's been a fun mechanic and then also there's a little showdown uh, arena you know and i know uh, doug you were getting a little bit at this with the introvert extrovert uh, if you're willing to take a chance, you can kind of do a little mini showdown with uh, another player in the arena where you get three random cards and need to kind of generate mm-hmm. a story on the fly. I love throwing down in the arena. Yeah, yeah. and, yeah. and, and some of the best that <laughs> and some of the best moments I think come in the arena. Um, that is where the uh, the stick it to the man game came from. Uh, my wife, I know. Uh, I heard a few just really hilarious pitches from you guys that uh, just were just really. I think. Well, I think let's not keep those on air though. Yeah, but, Michael. Uh... I think you were uh, you were Rainier 
Uh, you were Rainier Nietzsche, if I'm not mistaken. Did I but- butcher the Reiner Knizia? Reiner, Reiner, Reiner Knizia. Oh, I think <laughs> I just lost some lost some major respect there. The good Dr. Reiner yeah, Knizia. Yeah, I so, was yeah, I had an accent yeah. and, and a bow tie and everything. So. Yeah, so my, yeah, Michael role played there. That was yeah. pretty exciting. Uh, so yeah, th- I think there's those little mini games too that that add a little spice. Uh, and also, it's kind of sneaky little teacher like you know, scaffolding to the big pitch at the a end. A ton. So there was a little bit of intentional design to also, what if somebody's sweating that final pitch? Well, they get to see somebody else do it, or yeah. they get to try it on a smaller scale. In the arena before yeah. they get there. So yeah. that was some intentional design, and honestly designing for, you know, a big chunk of my target market, which is 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 students and, and, and you know, homeschool kids or you know, that after-school club, you know, just helping them who are gateway gamers maybe getting into it and getting their feet wet. Well, and I like the idea, too, that it can um, work as the idea of, of a game design and the idea of it just being a, a storytelling mechanism, mm-hmm. you know, and that the idea that these all these components can come together. And it's like even at the end of the day, if you don't have a you know, a fleshed out game design with worker placement and tech building <laughs> yeah. and management. You do have a story and a narrative that's created at the end of it that I could definitely see it being used in a classroom of generating that to then we're going to, uh, you know, write a story based on it. Yeah, and so or the versi- we're going to develop a component from your game that you just played. So now yeah. you need to go out and actually pitch a component for the game that you just made. There's a lot of ways it could go. Yeah, you guys just described two ways that it's been used when I've, uh, you know, had it play tested by a teacher in classrooms. Is they've yeah. they've gone in both those directions. We've had people, uh, you know, in a high school comp sci class, they actually played the game, and then this, a few times, and the students could take one of their designs and tried to kind of code that into existence that cool. game. Uh, as well. So just, yeah, I, I wanted it to be kind of a, a launch pad too into creative thinking, ideas, writing about it, whatever it might be. Uh, so yeah, you guys are absolutely right. That that was kind of the the goal of the game too. Is is this is just ideation uh, at its purest form in game format? Yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations, John. Any future designs on the horizon? Is this going <laughs> to lead to other other games, or do you? Is this a, a culmination of? Okay, I did it. Any thoughts on that? It I, it's game design. I you know I'm pausing here because I I'll just say it. Game design is incredibly addicting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I. I have a bunch of ideas. I've, I've forced some people to play some other it designs, you know, uh, my, the design I was most excited about, uh, I'll, I'll share with you guys was, uh, you know, in Edgerton, the famous, uh, story is rascal. Yeah. Um, but do you happen to know who owns the rights to uh, Rascal? <laughs> well, and, and let's let's back up for our listeners. So Sterling North is a very yeah. famous uh, author who wrote the book Rascal. So that is what John is referring to now. No, John, who owns the rights to Rascal? That would be Disney uh, okay. owns the rights. And so I reached out to the Sterling North we may, family. We may need to edit everything from the last 17 <laughs> yeah, seconds, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, no, no, nothing, nothing anti or pro any company, but yeah. uh, uh, you know, I reached out to Sterling North's daughter, uh, who is a writer herself, and uh, just said, "Hey, you know, have an I- initial idea, and just even want to see if this would be something you'd be interested in." She said, 
you know, it sounds great, you know, anything to share, you know, Sterling Norris work. And she said, let me untangle the contracts, you know, that yeah. we got. And she checked and all of like any derivative game or thing like that would be, have to be approved by Disney. So that, awesome. that, that, that would take, I think, a quite the sell and quite the, uh, you know, somebody, I, I'd have to know somebody who knows somebody, but uh, that, no, that I'll was get, exciting. I'll get Bob Iger on the phone and we'll be fine. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Doug. I, I basically, I came on this podcast to tap into your Disney connections. Yeah. So. He has them. He does. <laughs> yeah. He does. I yeah. just watch ESPN. Doug has the Disney connections. <laughs> well, John, I just want to say briefly, too, I know we have teachers and some young educators who are just starting their career uh, who, who listen to us and, and keep dreaming. John and I both actually used to work at the same school at a project-based school, John Dewey Academy of Learning, and we were not there at the same time, but we did run the same game club. <laughs> and, uh, and so if you're in the classroom and if you're thinking about possibilities and impact and what you want to do, I think this is a, a great example when you uh, hop on Kickstarter here. When does the project end If uh, for people who are listening to? May, May the 5th. So past uh, May 5th, yep. uh, nothing past Cinco de Mayo um, <laughs> for 2022. But if you are listening to us now, get on Kickstarter and check it out. The nice thing, too, the projects stay live on Kickstarter. So even if you're listening to us two years from now, you can get on there and see where it's at and find your big box store to go go pick up your copy of it. Yeah. Oh well, well, now now Michael's uh, already dropping it into some big boxes. Yeah, it's already that in Target. 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 That would be it's the, on the shelves would, right I, now in Target. I'm in there with it. my 2024 <laughs> self trying to buy beef jerky for twenty four dollars <laughs> and a uh, board game it's for nineteen ninety nine. It's a lot like uh, Back to the Future. You know, the Cubs won the World Series in twenty twenty four. I'm yeah. sure, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. twenty fifteen yeah. in Back to the yeah. Future too. Ixnay yeah. 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 on the Almanac. Eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, John, for joining us. We appreciate it. He's got the kickstarter game stormers live until may 5th so go check it out i've backed it michael's backed it it's a great game and we're looking forward to uh having it in other people's hands absolutely so, congratulations don it's a great game and uh anything else you want to add before we cut out here uh, i think i just want to say thank you to you both it's been an honor playing with you i appreciate the feedback that you give me and and just listening to this podcast as uh it's been it's been great for for you know improving myself and, and my practice. It's been bad for my wallet, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's just I appreciate uh, you and and other creators out there who who put out this content and 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 you know really you know sift through just the thousands of games out there and tell us hey these ones would be really valuable so thank yeah. you guys well, I thank you really appreciate it's it. it's the yeah. most expensive free podcast around <laughs> <laughs> so all right well that is it for the school of gaming let's move on to the high five if you're anything like us you're constantly on the hunt to for new games to try out and this week we got a high five list of family-friendly worker placement games and you may be wondering, if you are not a hardcore gamer, what a worker placement game is. And that is basically when you, you start with uh, several pieces, player pieces, pawns in front of you, that you are then going to be placing out onto the board and taking specific actions related to the space that you're putting the worker on. That's a really good description, Doug. What do you like about worker placement games? Because it's one of my favorite types of me games. Me too. Yeah. Me too. And, and my list is stacked. I will put this list up against anybody's list. I'll play any of the games that are on this list. It was a really tough list to trim down to five. What I love about it is I, I, I love improving 
continuous improvement is something that I really enjoy as a human and in my work and with my family, always trying to get better, right? And I feel like in worker placement games, there's always that sense of I'm building something. I'm building a structure, a civilization. I'm improving a character's ability. And yet there's always something more that I want to do. I yeah. never have enough turns because maybe I only have three workers to start the game where I need four. And when I get that fourth worker, I really needed a fifth worker or meeple or character. So Yeah. Well, one of the things I like about worker placement games is the idea of they usually have a set number of spots that you can go to. Mm. And when somebody else puts their worker in that place, it you can't go there. And so it has this kind of built-in competition that is not mean-spirited, but it adds a great level of tension. It was like, oh, I hope he doesn't take that spot. Yeah. And then somebody does, and you're like, ah, but then I'll just pivot over here and do this. Right. You know, and I love that level of competition where it's it, sometimes it can be mean-spirited, but most of the time it's not, and it's happening in the background. And it's just like the great a perfect amount of interaction that happens. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to add one more thing on that. It's the games on my list all are in about that one-hour range. For me, I like that length of a game because it allows me to get in-depth and go very, I feel, deep into a game and kind of unplug and get into a different space and a different world for about an hour, but then I can go on with the rest of my day. Yeah, I can go help do something different. Um, so that, that's another thing that I just realized here as we were talking. All right, Michael, what's your number five? My number five is Architects of the West Kingdom. This is a 2018 release. It's designed by Shem Phillips and S.J. McDonald, published by Garp Hill Games. One to five players, 60 to 80 minutes, ages 12 plus, which I concur. Use, um... Or you use limited workers to construct workers to gain victory points. A little bad notes there, but I love the art. The gameplay is awesome. Perfect amount of downtime to think, what am I going to do next? And then my turn um, is up. I guess I don't know how my, I did with my description there, if you have anything to add on it. But it's I a may, part of a much I larger may series. add something later. Great. I'll let you do that, <laughs> Doug. But that's my number five is Architects of the West Kingdom. All right. My number five is an interesting one, and this is a game. Let's see if you can guess it, but this is a game where you only have one worker at a time, and you place the worker out, and then you're taking one from a different part of the board, and this is also designed by Shem Phillips. This is Raiders of the North Sea yeah. by Garpill Games and Renegade Game Studios, 2015, two to four players. 60 to 80 minutes. It's just a, a very unique concept because normally a lot of the initial worker placement games had that idea of I start with three and then over the course of the game I get a fourth and then I get a fifth worker. This one is always you place a worker and you take a worker off. Yeah. Place a worker, take a, so you're taking the action where you place the worker and you're taking the action of when you take the one off. And that kind of juggling that happens in that game is awesome. And it's a, it's a, quick 60 minutes and just so clean as a, as a design, just very fluid. And uh, that's why it's my number five. I'm glad you brought that up. I actually looked at that game on my shelf today and I thought if that should make the list, but I've only played it once and I forgot that <laughs> aspect of it. So 
That, that's good. Makes me want to play it again. Number four is one that we just played recently for the first time here, and it was on my want to playlist for a long time. It's Dune Imperium, 2020 release, designed by Paul Denon and published by Direwolf Games. One to four players with a game, game time of 60 to 120 minutes, ages 14 plus. The Board Game Geek community says 12 plus. I would err more on that 14 plus typically. Yeah. The weight on that this, it's the heaviest game on my list it's a 2.99 out of five uh reminder one is going to be like a patty cake or a bingo five is going to be your brain is melting so this is a 2.99 out of five and in dune imperium you're placing workers on a board to collect spice or coins and you're trading in those items for victory points as Doug mentioned, with other worker placements, there's limited spaces where you can go. So if another, if Doug's character is there or somebody else's um, work, worker is on that space, I cannot go there. Uh, I really enjoyed playing this game. Victory points were hard to earn. I, I liked playing the cards out of hand to go with the workers and get new cards into my hand. I realize it's something that, that I really do enjoy about those um, the rest of the games that I'm going to talk about as well, and that started with Dune Imperium. Yeah, I'm surprised this made it onto your list uh, uh, <clears throat> that high anyway. Um did you want me to throw it in an honorable mention or, or five? I mean, it's four, so <laughs> no. But, but I mean, you know, you said the list is stacked, and I didn't. I didn't get the impression yeah. after we played it that you liked it that much. I've been thinking about it a lot. <laughs> okay. I, I, I like it. it. It's another one of those uh, intellectual property series where after the Princess Bride weekend, um, my, Josie and I are, are going to have a Dune Imperium weekend. I I really enjoyed that that game and in a lot of different ways. So awesome. All right, my next game is the longest game on my list, and this is one that's really unique because you only have two workers, and there's a bunch of other stuff going on, but when and where you place those workers is of vital importance, and that is The Lost Ruins of Arnak, uh, published in 2020 by Min and uh, designers Min and Elwin, Czech Games Edition, one to four players, 30 to 120 minutes, and that's basically 30 minutes per player, uh, depending on how many people you're playing with. And this game combines deck building with worker placement and card play and all of this. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on, but like I said in the, the intro, you have two workers, but where you put them set up your entire turn yeah. on what you're going to be doing. Um, and I just think it's, a, it's not a straight-up worker placement game. Um, but it has that element in there, and it's a really strong component of that one. So that is my number four, Lost Ruins of Arnak. Awesome. Number three for me is The Pursuit of Happiness, 2015 release. Designers Adrian Abella and David, is it Churkop? I have no okay. idea, but you did great. Thank you. One to four <laughs> players, 60 to 90 minutes, ages 12 plus, 10 plus. The complexity is a 2.47 out of five, not 2.50, a 2.47. And there are a lot of mechanics featured in this game. There's a lot going on in the pursuit of happiness, but when I tried to synthesize it down into what's one sentence to describe the game, your workers are moved around to different cards on the table as you try to build your best life imaginable. So yeah. in pursuit of happiness, really trying to balance out, do I want to invest in my career or do I want to invest in, in family? What, 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 how do I want to spend my time? And 
it's just kind of a, a wild and wacky game. I'm really glad that this sits in your collection, Doug. <laughs> I'm afraid of getting it because there are so many expansions, and I think it's one that uh, would take up a lot of space in my home. So it's nice to have friends who have game collections. I'll tell you that yeah. much. But um, this is a game that I enjoyed playing. If it were to ever come up on a, a rain day or if we were over here at our family, if we're, if we're at a, an outing, a convention, if this game is on the table, I will run to the table and play it. Yeah, this was on uh, an honorable mention for me. It's a great thing because like the workers that you're spending are your time, and yeah. and Michael said where you're spending your time, whether that's career or family, is where this pops up. And I always kind of think of it as like it's like the border, the gamer's version of life. Right, right. You're trying that's- to. It's got more strategy, more things that you're doing. Um, and a little bit more thematic connection that you landed on a space. Good job. You won the lottery Yeah, type of thing. Yeah. All right. My number three is a game that I didn't really initially take to, but subsequently has really become one that I really enjoy. And that's Everdell published in 2018. The designer, James A. Wilson, Starling Games is a publisher, one to four players, 40 to 80 minutes. And this is one where you're building up a little village of woodland creatures and you're sending out your workers to get berries, rocks, stones. Uh, it's probably higher on Michael's list, I yeah. I would guess. But uh, So I'll let him take it away later when he gets there. But that's my number three, Everdell. Awesome. Yeah, both my number two and one have already been mentioned, so I won't give the stats, but number two for me is Lost Ruins of Arnhek. I absolutely love this game for all the reasons that Doug mentioned. The one thing that I will tell you, in addition, where I was biting my tongue earlier, there's multiple paths to victory. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in worker placement games, and I haven't played Dune Imperium enough to know this, but sometimes it's, well, if that's the pathway that Doug is taking to victory and I'm blocked out, shoot, I don't know what else I can do to possibly win. Uh, the, sometimes there are limited strategies and pathways to victory in certain worker placement games and Lost Ruins of Arnak. If if Doug is going on a journey and the first one to, to break through into you know, what am I trying to say here? The boat or the the plane that I can go do research and work my way up the research track because you only have the two workers. Yeah. So if some people are going one way, I'll try to go the other way. Um, I absolutely love that game. And the artwork on it is just fantastic. I feel like I'm in Indiana Jones when I'm playing it. Yeah. Really good artwork on that one. Yeah. My number two is one of the classic worker placement games. And I love this one from the first time that I played it. Shoots and Ladders? Correct. Yes. It's a very strategic game. It takes about four hours to play. No. (laughs) My number two is Stone Age, published in 2008. The designer burned Brunhofer from Z-Man Games, two to four players, 60 to 90 minutes. And one of the things I really like about this game is you are sending your workers out to collect resources, and they all have a different kind of payout but you're going to be rolling dice. Oh. So the more workers that you send to an area, the better odds you have of getting more resources, but you're still rolling dice. So there's, there is that level of luck that can happen. And I just really love that about this game. It's like, oh, how many do I want to send to the forest to get wood? 
or do I want to send them over to get gold? And then you're using those resources to, to kind of complete objectives and stuff like that. But great classic worker placement game, Stone Age. That's awesome. Do you know the age range? And the only reason why I ask on that, even just roughly in your head, not what Board Game Geek would say, this one is up often on Facebook Marketplace. I see this all the time. People are selling copies of it. So selfishly, I'm asking. I would, yeah, I would probably say 12 is, is where I would start just because... It it is a long. It can run longer. Yeah. Um. And it has. But different, it's different still moving. a family weight game. Oh yes. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. It's, awesome. It would be in a comparable level of Catan, I think. Okay. Okay. You know, so that so some that will area. love it, and others might get a little bored from time to time. <laughs> Possibly. Okay. Cool. All right. Number one. Number one for me is Everdell, and I think we got some feedback earlier on one of our high fives where we were talking about components, and one of our listeners said, "What about Everdell?" So that that always is now on my mind for lists. But here's the thing about Everdell: I no longer own this game because I backed the super deluxe one on Kickstarter. And if you're wondering what Kickstarter is, just rewind a few minutes ago and listen to uh, the great soon-to-be Doctor John Spike break down. Uh, his Kickstarter experience, but Everdale has a monster box that's going to get released 2025? Some, sometime, sometime. This is actually a game, I I shouldn't be saying this, but I will say it, I enjoy it so much, I might actually go out and get a copy before <laughs> the huge copy comes in because I've wanted to play it. I yeah. want to play it with my family. And I've played it enough where I feel like I could actually competently teach it. So this brings me to my last point on all the games on the High Five list. I and I have this with Everdale. Uh Everdale. Everdell. Sorry, I know there's a game Everdale and I I, I will enunciate Everdell. E V E R D E L L 2018. Doug gave the rest of the stats. Um I'm going to give a little quote here from Dicebreaker.com article on May 29th, 2021. It says, Players construct a city by picking up cards representing various buildings and critters, each of which has their own special ability that can gain you resources and points. And then, so you get four little critters and you choose where to place them. It's just one of my favorite games. And here's what I wanted to tell folks. Any of these games on this list, if you're in that new gamer enthusiasm or if you're just getting into games with your family, give yourself an hour with the rule book and some videos of how to, how to actually play it. Set the game up, and people will come to the table and want to play. And, and, and I've had that experience with this game. This game has an awesome little tree with it, beautiful artwork, and just setting the game up on a table, people will come over, oh, what's going on over here? Yeah, I'll try to play that. So just give yourself a little bit of lead time so you know how to play it. Um, 2.81 out of 5 on the complexity. So well, I think went kind of deep and long on that one, but I love, love me some Everdell. Yeah, Everdell is a great game, and I think that's a, a common thing among all the worker placement games is that sometimes they can be easier to teach because you're just pointing out yeah. These are the different places on the they, board they that you phases, can do very clear phases, and this is what those places do, you know. And so it 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 is one of those that's kind of easier to teach sometimes. Uh, my number one is Michael's number five, and that is Architects of the West Kingdom, and this is just a really great game that I love. And the reason that I like it is it's got this mechanism with your workers is you start with a ton of workers. You have all your workers. But the thing that's awesome about it is as you keep adding workers to spaces, your action begets, becomes more powerful. 
So if I got one action, maybe I get one or one worker there, I get one wood. If I've got three workers there, now I start getting five wood and you keep getting more and more. But then the other players can go to the jail and have your people arrested, you know, for having <laughs> for trying to monopolize different areas. And I love that me mechanism. I love being able to keep making it powerful, more powerful. And then but you don't want to make it too powerful because yeah. you don't want somebody to come in and take that other action. And then you got to pay money to get your, your workers out of jail and that type of thing. And the other thing that this is balancing is it, it balances this virtue and corruption. Yeah. So you can take these actions that are very powerful, but they are costing you victory points. And there are some actions that like you cannot work on the church or the cathedral on the game board unless your virtue is high enough. If it's too low, you can't even do some of the actions on the board. But if your virtue is too high, you can't take some of the corruption actions too. So you're balancing this other little mechanism off to the side throughout the entire game. And it just has that perfect balance for me of going to that. It's not a beginner game and it's not a brain melter. It's not you know, the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Your face is not going to melt off. It's right in that in-between zone. Uh, and that's why I like that one. And the artwork is awesome as well, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the, and that cards, the cards with the characters on it are just cool. Yeah. The, the artwork along the, the Garfield games are, I'm assuming they're all done by the same artist, but it has a very similar theme among those. So that is our high five worker placement games. Before we, oh, you got. Some. I have some honorable mentions. Oh yeah, I, I have do two too. honorable mentions <laughs> that too. I want to mention. Yep. One is Century Eastern Mountains, and this is, uh, I have the Gollum edition at home. So Century Spice Road. There's there's three games in that Century series, and then there's a Gollum edition. And now the one that I'm talking about is not traditionally associated with the quote unquote worker placement. But this, this one, I think, is really family-friendly because you have these little nine workers that are on your tableau that you are placing along the trail. And, 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 and when I looked it up on BoardGameGeek, it did have worker placement next to this game as well. So I was like, great, I'll count it. I really like this. So if you've played Century Spice Road and you're looking to add one, um, I, I would suggest that the Eastern Mountains is, is a great way uh, to go if there's a slightly different name because that's the name for the Gollum edition. E Eastern Wonders is Eastern the one that Wonders we go with. for Spice Road. Thank you. The Spice Road one, yep. And then I also have Dinosaur World, um, mm. which is a, a night. It's, it's like Jurassic Park, but you're placing workers out on the board to try to build a better dinosaur amusement park and make sure that your people don't get eaten. Uh, that's the best explanation, but that one's out there in, in a lot of places right now, and you can find find several different versions of that. Yep, so. and the only ones that missed my list were Lords of Waterdeep, which we talked about last week on our games from 2012, and then Champions of Midgard, which is a great uh, worker placement game for uh, with a Viking theme on it, and your... Uh, Collecting resources to then go on voyages and, and attack monsters and stuff. And Same designer that did uh, Meeples and Monsters, right? Correct. Oli yes. Sinus. Yep. Cool. And uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll be doing our high five dice placement games. So that is going to be the same concept, except instead of workers, you're placing dice and the, the value of the dice uh, affects how powerful a lot of times what your action is and, and what you can do. 
So that is our high five list for this week. Before we head out, we want to remind everybody to check us out on Twitter and Facebook at GameSchoolerU. Reach out to us if you have any questions, direct message, any of that type of stuff. You can go to our website. We've got a contact form there. If you just want to send us an email, you can do that email at GameSchooler.com to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you guys. So thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate it. Now get out there and start game schooling. (laughs) 